Welcome to the Assembly of Yahweh Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you're here. For more information, you can visit hallelujah.org or download the AOI app on Apple or Google Play. Good morning, everyone. Shabbat Shalom to you all. Hope you're having an amazing Sabbath day so far. Let's uh, go before Yahweh in prayer. Thank you, Yahweh, for this time you have today given us, Father, for your glory, for your pleasure, and for your honor, Father. We just pray that we'll honor this time by being attentive to your word, Father, to be attentive to, the, to your will. And Yahweh, we pray for everyone that's sick and is hurting right now, Father, that you'll bless them and, and that you'll strengthen them. And Father, I pray that you'll be with this message, that it would be uh, honoring to you, Father, and it would glorify your name. And we give you thanks for all things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, hey, everybody. Uh, my name, uh, for those of you who don't know me, is Keith Wilson. And I'm so blessed and thankful to be uh, on staff here at the Assembly of Yahweh, serving as the youth pastor. And I'm so blessed to have a beautiful wife, Amanda, and four children. I'm not going to tell you their names in case I don't mess it up, or in case I mess it up. So how's everybody today? Yeah? Okay, uh, good. Well, I uh, just wanted to say that I wasn't here last week. Amanda and I were, were out of town last week, but we did in, um, I did listen to Walker's message, and I, re- I really thought it was a good message. And so I thought we might continue that train of thought, if you don't mind, uh, today. And uh, he said something there that I thought was really important, and it was a paraphrase, something along the lines of, it's not so much about what you do, but why you do it. The motivation of our action matters. So today I wanted to bring a word. It's something that's been on my mind for some time now. And that is, is it good enough? The bare minimum. Is it good enough? The bare minimum. And I wanted to find uh, a joke about doing the bare minimum, but I wasn't willing to even Google search it. So... When is good enough good enough? It seems to me that in American culture, the idea of doing the bare minimum is really attractive. Um, I've often, you know, being a C student myself, um, I've oftentimes thought that it was a terrible waste to try and put a ton of effort into schooling. Because the same uh, person, uh, the person that gets the C is going to get the same diploma as the person that gets the A. Anybody ever thought about that before? Anybody ever thought about asking your surgeon whether he was an A student, a B student, or a C student? Which part of the lesson he barely got by on? That's interesting, isn't it? Whether your flight attendants or your pilots were A or B or C students? Did you barely get your pilot's license? Or did you do it with flying colors? No pun intended. What is attractive about doing the bare minimum? And I'm really talking to myself today because Keith likes to do the bare minimum. And uh, like Walker was talking about last week when it comes to work, There are people who are not interested in even doing that. They don't even want to do the bare minimum. When is good enough, good enough? Or more importantly, 
When is good enough not good enough? Have you ever thought that um, you were doing enough to get by only to realize later you weren't doing enough to get by? That the effort that you were putting into something was so on the line of good enough, you risked it and you fell short. Has anybody ever had that experience before? I have had that experience before. For example, uh, about 20 minutes ago, I was in my office um, trying to print out this note here, and I realized I had about a minute and a half to get on the stage and get my headphones on and get the guitar on, which would have been perfectly enough time. But when I got there, there was no strap on the guitar. So I was holding the guitar, looking for the strap as Aiden was about to start singing. So I didn't give myself enough time. Now, not to bring too much of a light on it, but that's why Walker was confused about the strap. You see, he saw the strap laying on the ground over there, but that's not where it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be on the guitar. So I had to go get a strap. But sometimes we come in so close to the wire that we miss. We miss. I want to turn our attention to two primary teachings today from Yeshua, and that is from Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 22, and also from Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40. I want to dive into a lesson that I believe is paramount to not only our salvation, but to our very being in life. So if you're turning with me to Matthew chapter 19, we're going to read a story that most of us are familiar with. As a matter of fact, this story is, uh, is repeated in both Mark and Luke. And it says in verse 16 of Matthew chapter 19, that someone came to him and said, teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life. Now, I love preaching from Matthew chapter 19, verse 16, because there is so much meat in this one verse than a lot of other verses, in my opinion. Because here you have the Son of Yahweh Almighty, and you have the opportunity to ask him any one question. Imagine what question you would ask. If you had one question you could ask Yeshua, what question would it be? And don't say it out loud. Just keep it to yourself. It's rhetorical. Well, this person decided to ask this. What good thing should I do that I may obtain eternal life? A fair question. Probably ranks in the top five questions he could have asked. What good thing can I do to obtain eternal life. And Yeshua said to him, why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good, but if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. So he has his answer. By the way, it's not often that you ask Yeshua an answer, a question and he gives you a direct answer. It doesn't usually happen. Look through the scriptures where you 
here and ex 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 examine Yeshua's conversations, and you're going to find that most of the time, he's going to answer your question with another question. That's what rabbis do. They don't provide direct answers. They make you think. So I'm thankful for a direct answer. Amen? This one time. And there's a lot there we're not going to get into because it goes even deeper like, um, you know, the fact that there's nothing inherently good that we can do because there's only one who is good. But let's keep going. Because he says a follow-up question. <laughs> Which ones? I find it comical. But Yeshua says, you shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all these things I have kept. What am I still lacking? Now we can ask ourselves a similar um, question. What am I still lacking? How much more do I have to give to be good enough? Most of us have kept the commandments since our youth. Most of us have, you know, some of us in the room, many of us have been raised in the faith. We've been doing all the things that we have been taught to do, and we've been keeping the Torah, and we've been, you know, observing Shabbat and the festivals, and we have been honoring Yahweh's name, and we've been keeping the commandments. So is that good enough for him? Is that good enough for you, Yeshua? And when he says, what am I still lacking? I think if we looked at it in proper context, let's go to, you don't have to turn there, but in Matthew chapter 10, it's a similar story. He was setting out for his journey and a man ran up to him and knelt before him and said, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Yeshua said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except Yahweh alone. So even Yahshua wasn't willing to accept the title good, even though he was perfect, which is, again, another sermon. But let's keep going. And he said, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he said to them, teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. From the time that I was a kid, I've been doing all these things. But looking at him, let's look at it, it says in verse 21 here of Mark chapter 10. Looking at him, Yahshua felt love for him. One of the great things about Yahshua is that when you're asking him questions, he sees right through your question to your motivation. The question is on the outside. The motivation is on the inside. He said the same thing to Pilate when Pilate came and asked him if he was the king of the Jews. He said, are you asking me this question or did somebody tell you about me? What's the motivation for what you're saying? So he felt love for him. And then he said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell all your possessions, give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. A similar story in Luke chapter 18. A ruler questioned him in verse 18, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Yeshua said, Why do you call me good? No one is good except for Yahweh alone. You know the commandments, so on and so on. And he said, All these I've kept for my youth. 
And then Yeshua said to him in verse 22, one thing you still lack. So in Matthew, we have him asking the question, what do I still lack? And in Mark, we have a compassion from Yeshua looking at him in love saying, hey, I want to help you out a little bit. And in Luke, he doesn't show any compassion. He just goes straight to the point and says, you still lack. But if we were to look at the question, what am I still lacking? Another way that I think about that question is, what's the minimum requirement? What's the minimum that I have to do? If I'm looking at a worksheet of math problems, and I'm confident about getting the math problems right, then I know that I can do seven out of 10 math problems and still pass. Who's with me? Any high schoolers with me on that one? No support? All right. I don't have to waste my time doing 10 math problems if I'm confident that I can get seven right. That's where my mind is. So he's asking an important question. What should I do to obtain eternal life? It's the question that everybody wants to know. How do I get there? What's the way? Is there something I can do? So what I'd like to do now is continue with what Yeshua says next. Verse 21, if you wish to be complete, if you wish to be whole, if you wish to lack nothing, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. And we know the story of the man, when he heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. That response is the same in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It always ends with him being sad about the answer. But what's Yahshua really saying here? Should we walk out of the auditorium today with the expectation and anticipation of taking everything we own, house, car, belongings, clothes, selling everything, and giving it to the poor? Could we leave here thinking that and then admit to ourselves, this is the key? If I just do this one thing, I'm guaranteed the kingdom. Because I don't know if you know it or not, but everyone in this room is rich. We're all wealthy compared to the rest of the world and their standard of living. Even a homeless person in the United States of America has a better chance of living than any other person in a third world country. I might say even 80 to 90% of people living on the earth. And we know that 60% of statistics are made up on the spot. So a lot of people living in poverty. So you're wealthy. So we can fit ourselves into this scenario. We have things. We have land. We have belongings. We have houses. So does the believer walk away thinking after reading this, I'm just going to sell everything I have, live in poverty, and I'll be good. What I want to communicate today, and this is the pinnacle lesson is that everything we do is boiled down to 
a heart condition. You see, the man that was inquiring of Yahshua, he wanted to know, but when the answer came, he realized this. It's not about what I'm doing. It's about why I'm doing it. Selling his possessions wasn't just about getting rid of his stuff. It was about letting go of the trust in the stronghold he had built up in his life that was based on his possessions. He had a heart issue. He wasn't willing to let go of his stuff and trust in Yeshua and his salvation. That's what follow me means. Follow me means I'm going to let go of all the stuff that I'm holding on to and I'm just going to burn it, leave it, and go somewhere else with you, wherever you want to take me. So the conclusion is, is that we all shouldn't run out and sell our stuff. That would only be a first step. The real question we need to ask ourselves today as we get into the core of the message here is, does he have my heart? All of these things I've kept from my youth. I attend the services. I read the scriptures. I sing the songs. I put my tent up in October and hope for sunny days. I fast. I pray. Is it good enough? Is not the right question. The question is, does he have my heart? Let's go now to Matthew, just a couple of pages over, 22. This is the question I want all of us to ask, myself included. Does he have my heart? Say that with me. Does he have my heart? Does he have it? Let's look at verse 34. When the Pharisees heard that Yahshua had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. In verse 35, it says, one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love Yahweh, your Elohim, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Why is it that of all the laws given, of all the commands received, Yahshua says the entire process, the entire meaning is boiled down to one singular word, and that is love. All of it is based on love. How we deal with him is based on love. How we deal with our neighbors is based on love. How we deal with our wife, our children, our friends, our co-workers, it's all built on the concept of love. So I want to break this down for us today, and I want to focus on the most important issue, 
which I'm going to say is the heart issue. Because this quote comes from Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let's go there real quick. Because Yeshua doesn't just provide an answer, he provides a biblical answer. And it says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we'll start in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh our Elohim, Yahweh is one. You shall love Yahweh your Elohim with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. The entire commandment process has always been and will always be a heart issue. It's not a doing issue. It's not a completing of tasks issue. It's not a showing up at the right times issue. It's a heart issue only. You can show up the right times all the time. You can sing the songs and read the words and say the things. But if your heart isn't there, you've wasted your time. Now, in the book of Mark and Luke, there's an added word here, and that is strength. So we're going to put it into four quadrants. The first quadrant, uh, quadrant is the heart. Then we have quadrant two, which is the mind. And then we have quadrant three, which is the soul. Eeks, that's the best recovery you have ever seen. The soul. And then we have the strength in quadrant four. Gary, are you picturing this in your mind? Okay, it's very, very simple. Trust me, you're not missing a thing. Okay. So we have this broken down. Now, what I'm going to submit to you for, for your consideration is that we're not just dealing with concepts. What we're dealing with is the entirety of a man, the entirety of a woman, if you will. This is what you're comprised of. And what Yeshua is saying and what Moses was saying is that Yahweh is not satisfied with any one of these. He wants all of them. But the core issue starts in category one. Because if he doesn't have this, none of it matters. That's the lesson today. Let's go on to break down and define what these mean. Let's switch to a different one. The heart. Now, I'm really just giving concepts here, but there are specific words mean specific things in Hebrew and Greek, but... In its, simplity, uh, in its simplicity, the heart means the will, the desire, emotion, feelings, and sincerity. The will, your desire, 
your emotion, feeling, and sincerity. The scripture is full of references to the heart of the man. And I'm not going to keep saying and woman because it's going to be a little bit redundant. So just know that when I say the man, I mean the woman also. Amen. Uh, no reason to be politically correct here. She is called woman after all. She was taken out of man. Your will, your desire, your emotions, your feelings, and your sincerity all deals with your heart. But it goes on. Because in the mind, we have this. We have reason. We have logic. We have thought. And we have intellect. Does that make sense? So when you see the scripture saying the heart of a man, it could mean this thing. It could mean this thing. And it really just depends on what kind of the context we're looking at here. But in a general sense, I'm trying to create a separation for us today for a, a specific purpose. And I believe it's the purpose that Yahweh gave and intended when he gave the commandment in uh, Deuteronomy there. Now we have the soul. This is uh, slightly controversial, but I'm going to try to keep it away from controversy. But this is simply your being, your personage, your identity. I'm not, I'm, I'm not talking about the immortal soul and all that stuff. This could be, uh, the scripture talks about the soul slash spirit of a man. So that's sort of where we're going with uh, for on that. So just grant me that if you don't mind. So it's your being, your person, and your identity. It's who you are. Your soul is who you are as a human being. And then finally, strength, which is easy. This is your force to do, energy, ability. Are you seeing the complete picture here? You see, Yahweh doesn't just want your ability. He doesn't just want your identity. He doesn't just want to be on your mind. He wants you to want it. So we're going to reference that as we go on. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. By the way, there's not enough time in the day or in the rest of this sermon to cover all the references Scripture makes to the heart issue that I'm going to be talking about. So we're going to brush over a couple instances because this is the paramount, the most important part is the heart issue. But in Matthew chapter 6, it says in verse 19, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither the moth nor the rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So if I'm going to ask myself, does he have my heart? The real question is, what do I treasure? 
That's going to tell me the answer. What do I treasure above all things? What do I treasure in this life? And this, by the way, is not an easy question. It takes deep thought and it takes commitment to be able to say to oneself, I'm not fully devoted in this area. What is your treasure? Going on, it says the eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And then the light that is in you is darkness. How great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. Again, breaking it down to its simplicity. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise Yahweh. You cannot serve Yahweh and wealth. You can't do it. And I would like to just broaden the term of wealth here to be anything America has to offer. Worldly pleasures, sinful pursuits. You can't serve him and them. It's one or the other. And I know I say this a lot, but folks, it's really simple. Young people, it's quite simple. You either choose Yahweh or you choose yourself. That's pretty much it. And what Yahshua is saying to the rich man who's asking about the commandments and keeping it is he's saying, hey, you've done a great job doing all that stuff, but I don't have you. You're not mine. You belong to you. I don't have you. You've got your job. You've got your family. You've got your car, your house, your stuff. You've got your friends. You've got your entertainment. You've got your sin. I don't have you. I see what you're doing, but I also see why you're doing it. And that matters to me. So if you wish to be complete, if you really want to get there, which it seems like maybe you're a genuine person and you want to, then what I'm saying is you got to give it all up and come follow me because that's the only way. I'm the only way. If you're not willing to give up your stuff, you cannot serve me because you can't serve your stuff and me at the same time. It's impossible. So everyone is forced to make a decision. And by the way, this is the most paramount decision in your entire life. Who will I serve? And most people will choose to serve themselves. When faced with the obvious truth of the gospel, when faced with the obvious truth of sin, when faced with the obvious truth of the commandments and their holiness in our life and their importance, most people will say, I'm not interested. I've got other things to do. He wants our heart. I want to ask parents if they can relate to this. There's a difference between a teenager who wants to do what you say and a teenager who does what you say. How many of you know what I'm talking about? There's a difference between somebody who's complying with the rules and somebody who's interested in supporting and loving and respecting you, isn't there? Now, in most cases, I'm good with the first one. I don't care what your motivation is. Just do it. Thank you so much. 
Appreciate you. I don't care if you don't want to clean. I mean, no teenager wants to clean his room. And I hear some, some people saying, but I want him to want to be clean. He doesn't want to be clean. It's an unrealistic expectation. But I want my husband to want to put his, 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 his socks in the, in the hamper because he loves me. Well, the problem is, is that he doesn't want to. He'll do it. But he doesn't want to. If he wanted to, he'd already have done it by then. He wants to just lay them down. Amen. There are things that we do that we don't want to do. Sometimes it's going to work, like Walker said last week. I don't know if you've ever experienced, but sometimes you wake up and you're just like, I don't want to. My heart's not in it. But we have to. So I want to say that there is something to the fact that you can do something and not want to. The Bible says in the book of Psalms, uh, Psalms rather, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of Yahweh. I was glad. I was filled with joy. I was excited about the opportunity. But many of us come to the house of Yahweh and we are forced to. I wonder what they'll think of me. This will be the third week in a row I don't show up. I got to put on a good face and make sure everybody knows that I'm still in this thing. But in the heart of hearts, I realize that I'm in fact not in this thing whatsoever. I am serving myself. And only you can ask and answer these questions for yourself. Besides me, no one is running around judging you, I don't think. Another example is when Peter was giving his address to the Israelites there in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2. And after telling him that they basically killed the Messiah, it says that they were pierced to the heart. Why? Because conviction comes from the heart. You can make a logical presentation to somebody. It can make sense to somebody. But only conviction will channel movement. Only conviction, only your heart can move you. They were pierced to the heart. What does it mean to follow him? He said, give up your stuff. You'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. How do we in 2020 follow him? It's a fair question. At this moment, this man could have done what any of the other disciples did. He could have dropped his stuff, walked away and started following him, right? He could have done that, but we can't do that. Yeshua is not here in person asking us this question. So how do we follow him? How can we make this thing make sense to us? How can we bring it to our level? How can we obey? It's simple, really, and it deals with treasure. You have to give up your personal wants, your personal needs, and live for his wants and his needs in your life. 
I need to move into his path of righteousness, doing that which is right and not doing what I want to do. Every moment of every day is filled with decisions. And most of those decisions are going to be minuscule. They're going to be inconsequential. But some of them are very consequential. Some of them are very important. And it's in those moments that you decide. Here's another example of following him. When his wants become your wants, he has your heart. I hate the things you hate. I love the things you love. I hate the things you hate, and I love the things you love. To put it in another perspective, your relationship with the Father is similar to, like unto a marriage. And just like young people and, and old, when you get married, what you're doing is you're saying to the other person, you can trust me. I'm going to be faithful to you. What does that word faithful mean? Well, primarily, most people think of it as this way. I'm only going to have relationship with you. Our relationship is monogamous. It's me and you only. I'm not going to cheat on you. I'm not going to run around on you. Well, how do we run around on Yahweh? It's simple. Idolatry. And idolatry is simply the love of something or the admiration of something other than Yahweh. It can be in the form of uh, a statue. It can be in the form of a television. It can be in the form of entertainment. It can be any form of anything. If you think Yahweh doesn't like it and you're not willing to get rid of it, it's an idol. Now, you might think, Keith, that's a lot to ask. What's the bare minimum? I would dare ask you to say this thing. If I'm asking about the bare minimum, I've missed the point completely. If all I want to do is the minimum, I'm afraid I'm already lost. Yahweh wants us to give up ourselves, our selfish desires, our sinful wants. He wants us to give up our rights. One of the things that we pride ourselves here in the United States of America is the fact that we have unalienable rights. But when a person comes face to face with Yahshua, what he's really asking you for when he's asking for your heart is he's asking for you to give up your right to sin, to give up your right. Let's use two more examples. In the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 15, we have a familiar story where Saul, the king, is supposed to be utterly destroying 
the Amalekites. And in Saul, uh, rather, 1 Samuel 15, Yahweh commands Samuel to utterly destroy them, livestock, the king, so on and so on. Everything is to be destroyed. But that's not what Saul did. And in verse 13, Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him, blessed are you of Yahweh. I have carried out the command of Yahweh. But Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of sheeps in my ears and the lowing of the oxen, which I hear? You see, Samuel was supposed to kill the sheep and kill the oxen, and, or rather Saul was. And Samuel said, I can hear them. Why am I hearing them? And Saul said, they have been brought, uh, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice to Yahweh your Elohim. But the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, wait, and let me tell you what Yahweh said to me just last night. And he said to him, speak. And Samuel said, is it not true that though you were little in your own eyes and though you were the head of your tribes, I made you the head of the tribes of Israel and Yahweh anointed you king over Israel. And Yahweh sent you to go on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are exterminated. Why then did you not obey the voice of Yahweh, but rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil in the sight of Yahweh? Then Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of Yahweh and went on the mission which Yahweh sent me. And I brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took some of the spoil, the sheep, the oxen, the choicest things to for devoted for destruction to sacrifice. I did most of what you told me to do, but the people wanted to bring an offering to you. And Samuel said, has Yahweh as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of Yahweh? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed the, uh, than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination or witchcraft and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of Yahweh, he also has rejected you from being king. You see, it's crazy to us to think about this story and how specific Yahweh was with Saul. But we have to perhaps maybe understand that Saul was not doing it for Yahweh's glory. He was doing it for his glory. It was a heart issue. Everything always boils down to that thing, a heart issue. He says to obey is better than sacrifice. Rebellion is, the, is as the sin of divination. And I want to tell you something right now. I believe thoroughly bred into the hearts of, and minds of every single American is the idea, concept, and need and want for rebellion. Sometimes that helps us. In the case of King George, for example, it helped us. In the case of the Reformation, it helped us. But sometimes, and I dare say most times, it hurts us. Rebellion. 
The last thing I want to share with you here on this point before we wrap up. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 8. Yeshua said to the Pharisees and the scribes in verse eight, uh, verse seven, rather, you hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. In Matthew chapter 23, Yeshua goes through a list of of sins that the Pharisees were committing. Why is this important to us? Well, I'll tell you why it's important because in the book of Matthew, or rather the book of Matthew chapter five, verse 20, it says, unless your righteousness surpasses the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So we have to examine what did the Pharisees have right? Well, it says in verse 2 of 23, the scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the seat of Moses. Therefore, all they tell you, do that and observe it, but don't do what they do. So what did the Pharisees have right? They were preaching the commandments of Yahweh, but they weren't doing them. Why? Because they didn't have the heart for it. They weren't giving up their will their desire, channeling their emotions, their feelings. They weren't sincere with their keeping of it. So he goes on to say, what do they do? They tie up verse four and 23, heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders that they themselves are unwilling to move with as much as a finger. They do all their deeds to be noticed by men. That's a heart issue. They broaden their phylacteries, rather phylacteries, and lengthen their tassels and garments. It's a pride issue. It's a heart issue. They love the place of honor and the banquet. That's a heart issue. And respectful greetings in the marketplaces. They love to be called rabbi. It's a heart issue. Woe to you, verse 15, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and on land to make one proselyte and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much the son of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides. Verse 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint, dill, and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness all come from the heart. If I show mercy, it's with the heart. If I am faithful, I'm faithful from the heart. If I believe and uphold justice, I do it because I'm convicted of it in my heart. It's a heart issue. Everything comes down to whether or not you want to. So if you're a person who shows up because you think it's fun, you show up because you think you're expected to, 
You show up because you think your mom and dad might think ill of you if you don't. If you show up because your friends are here, I ask you to consider the motivation. Because if you don't want to be here, it won't value or profit you anything. If you don't want Yahweh more than anything else, it won't save you. It does not matter how many commandments you keep and for how long. If you're not giving him your heart, you won't be there. He says, follow me. Follow me. I want you. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He wants your heart. He wants my heart. Let's think about that as we pray. Yeshua, thank you so much for the example of your word. Thank you that you provide clear, honest, straightforward answers to the biggest questions of our lives, the things that we need to think about more than anything else. We want to give you our heart. We want to give you all of our heart. And if there are things that we're devoting our time and our energy and our love and our admiration if there's things like that that we're devoting that are not to you father we pray that you'll point those out let us examine our hearts as we come into this festival season father as we raise the trumpets and we fast on atonement and as we celebrate in tabernacles let us do it with all of our heart all of our conviction, all of our want, all of our eagerness, not as an obligation, but as a privilege to knowing you more and more. Father, I pray for anybody in here that's struggling to want to know you, but can't get past themselves, that they'll just lay it down, lay down their pride and their ego, and know that Father, your ways are above all other ways. Father, we're so thankful for your goodness. We're thankful for your son and for the sacrifice he made for us so that we can have an opportunity to follow him into the kingdom. And we give you thanks in Yeshua's name. Amen. Thank you so much for your time today.